welcome everybody to All About Windows Phone Insight podcast number 95. Uh, we're, we're perhaps a tiny bit behind schedule, and the reasons for that may become apparent in the, in the coming weeks, but uh, uh, we're certainly very much here to comment on what's been happening in the world of Windows Phone. I have with me Mr. Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. Indeed, it's been a, a few weeks since we've done the last one, and there's been uh, a lot going on, but it has actually given us a chance to use kind of what's really been the big news, which is the Windows Phone 8.1 developer preview release. And I know you've installed it at least on one of your devices, Steve, and I know I've installed it on a couple, but... Uh, it's probably worth saying right off the bat that it is a developer preview. It's not the final release. So there are a few uh, bugs. I know I've come across some, but perhaps that should be the first thing we should talk about this week, Steve. Absolutely. When the preview for developers was first released, I, I got rather annoyed is perhaps too <laughs> strong a word, but people, people, sites were doing, quote, reviews of this um, preview, which is for developers, which is clearly aimed at a fairly select group of people, maybe ostensibly tens or maybe hundreds of thousands at most, and it was clearly um, a couple of months away from final release when it's going to be available to consumers over the air as an update or being shipped on a, on a, a finished device. So there, there were clearly going to be instabilities and bugs, and I thought, well, you can't really review it. You, you, you can explain all the features, and you can show the things that new, and that's great, but you've got, uh, the word review implies some kind of considered use in the real world world and how did it perform and looking back in a historical perspective and i have to say that after two weeks with windows phone 8.1 pleased as punch as i am with most of the features um let's just get three three things to leap out at me first of all battery life is nowhere near as good as on the bog standard windows phone 8 and obviously that's because it's a developer preview it hasn't been fully tuned fully optimized certainly not by the manufacturers in my case nokia which I guess now is Microsoft anyway, but that's another story. Um, so, so the battery life clearly isn't fully tuned and optimized. It, my, my 1020 was out of power by about 3 or 4 p.m. each day, which wasn't good, but I guess that's part of the, uh, the perils of being on the bleeding edge. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you. Calling it a review can be a bit misleading. I mean, it's probably worth saying that you know, it's pretty feature and function complete. There isn't a lot that's going to get added or changed because, uh, as we know, the kind of the first devices officially with 8.1 are going to arrive. Well, they've started arriving now in some markets. Uh, that's the uh, Nokia Lumia 630 and the 635. And that's kind of the first 8.1 device. But, of course, that's been developed with 8.1 in mind from the get-go. All these uh, developer previews have been going on to the older devices, and as yeah. you say, they're yeah. not optimized for it. So that does have an impact on performance, and I've noticed a few performance issues. And as you said, battery life is probably the big one. Uh, it's not just because we're spending all day uh, playing with the new release. Uh, generally, yeah. it doesn't seem to, to be quite so good. It's not really a surprise. I mean, when you think about how this stuff works, there actually can be some quite low-level optimizations on the chipsets, on the silicon. And actually, something similar happens with all the updates Quite often when a device first comes out, you'll then get the first firmware update. And sometimes that will be uh, associated with kind of a minor kind of platform update as well. And you'll see significant improvements in the battery life. It's something we've talked about a bit in the past, and it's actually very similar to what happens with camera performance or something like that. And because this is a developer preview release available for all devices, it's not like it's being customized for each device by the manufacturers. So that's you know why it happens. But I have to say... Overall, I've been really, really impressed with Windows Phone 8.1. It's sort of certainly a lot more than the 0.1 increase in the version number yeah. might suggest. I mean, for me, this is the biggest update to Windows Phone since it you know, became Windows Phone, if you like. The, the leap between 7.5 and 8 was uh, smaller than this as far as kind of the front-facing consumer features were concerned. 
to be fair, that 7.5 to 8 leak did involve a lot of changes to kind of the core systems, the kernel, and all that common code, which actually enabled all this stuff to happen in 8.1. But it feels like this is completing the job of the 8.0 release by bringing a lot more. It's parity, really, with the kind of the desktop or the tablet windows, Windows RT. You see that both in ways... You know, features are implemented and things work, but also actually on the developer side of things, which isn't really that apparent yet because we've seen only a handful of 8.1 specific uh, apps. But I mean, if you were picking out some favorite features, Steve, what do you think there'd be in 8.1? My all time favorite has to be the word flow um, keyboard. Uh, The fact that you've got this swipe enabled, it was drove me mad getting really used to swipe on Symbian uh, with the, um, the swipe. S-W-Y-P-E, and then on Android, all my Nexus devices, and even you can load the Google keyboard onto a generic Android device and get, again, the really wonderfully predictive swipey keyboard. And I know I wasn't a huge fan of swipe three or four years ago, but then I, I didn't quite get it. I was using it in landscape mode, and then, of course, it's very tiresome. In, with a phone in portrait mode, where it's just your thumb, one thumb doing all the work, it's actually very, very fast. And I got so used to doing it, as I say, on Android and Symbian, um, to, to then go back to a Windows phone and think, oh, no, I mean, you, know, I've got, you mean I've got to tap out every single letter and to have that swipe and not only have swipe present, but have the swipe done really, really intelligently. I think it's faster and more accurate than it is on the Android devices. Uh, I, I agree this sort of tracing of words. I mean, WordFlow is the Windows phone keyboard and there, there is a bit of terminology which I've managed to forget for this new uh, swipe-like feature or it's similar to SwiftKey as well on Android. But what impresses is it's been well integrated with the already existing Microsoft intelligence in terms of word prediction and things like that. And so if you're willing to take advantage of all the features of the keyboard, you can actually get very quick on the text entry and kind of minimize some of the things you have to enter to the extent it will start remembering phrases that you enter commonly. And it just seems to do a better job of that than I've seen on some of the Android implementations. Now, to be fair, there are some that come out of the box that are very, very good on Android. And um, all of those on-screen keyboards have improved dramatically. But you can definitely make a case that kind of that vanilla out-the-box experience that Windows Phone now has the best keyboard. And I also think it's very consistent and quite simple in its design. It's not at all threatening to kind of the novice user, which I sometimes think some of the Android keyboards uh, can be. You know, they just feel like there's a lot going on. And there are, you know, a few tricks that you can learn how to do things. I also think the use of the icons, when you sort of type certain words, you'll then get a little emojicon uh, appear. You can put that into your text message or your writing as well. That's a nice touch as well. So, I'm a big fan of the keyboard as well. But if I had to pick out one thing, it's definitely going to be action center for me. Um, I think anyone who's used notifications on Android or iOS will realize it's not exactly an original idea. But the way uh, Microsoft have implemented it, again, they've given it a lot of thought. And it's nice that it ties in with a lot of the existing applications that are you know, putting notifications up. Now, there are some bugs in that. I've noticed quite a few applications will do repeat notifications aren't quite behaving properly. But some of the potential that's there in terms of being able to update notifications. So, you know, you can just have one notification for a social network and it'll update you when you've got new messages or you can have so-called ghost notifications that don't necessarily go across the top of the screen and won't make a sound but will appear in that action center and it's interesting to see, you know, the system alerting you to apps being updated automatically in the background or when there's a problem with one of the settings, if you've changed your password and you forgot to then change it on the phone or Wi-Fi sense isn't quite working as it's meant to. Uh, but equally well, the little shortcut icons that you have along the top for just turning Wi-Fi on and off or for turning uh, internet showing on and off or the screen rotation lock, 
are all really welcome touches. And I think it's been well integrated into Windows Phone. It doesn't really feel like it's been bolted on. And that swipe down is a very natural action. And I like the fact that it sort of complements the live tiles. And so you can continue to use live tiles and just have that as your main way of sort of being notified about things. But you've got this notification option as well. And that kind of almost three layers of, you know, notifications, you know, the sounds and go across the top of the screen with the toast notifications, that action center and live tiles, again, I think makes a pretty strong offering on Windows Phone when you compare it to competing platforms and one that actually feels like it's sort of been thought about and all designed together rather than, you know, it's just that consistency angle. It's one of the things I've always said I liked about Windows Phone, that consistency of design and the way things work is one of its strongest points. And that's, you know, been maintained in Windows Phone 8.1. You'll notice that listeners that Rafe showed off there in that paragraph, they showed that he's got a 1520 with the largest high resolution screen. <laughs> he talked about a, one of the quick settings on that, that swipe down bar that, of course, isn't on most of our phones with the, uh, the 768p screens so you've got you've got five shortcuts i I do of course you can customize them so you can change them to whatever you want them (laughs) to be but uh, i've actually found having that fifth one on the 1520s a nice extra to have because you you generally do want things like uh, wi-fi and bluetooth and then it sort of becomes about i guess what are the priorities for you and it'll be interesting to see whether we see sort of more options appear there i kind of hope it does because um, i think that's a great potential uh, and Everyone, I think, on Windows Phone 8.0 had live tiles for doing those kind of quick shortcut icons. So it's kind of nice that I can tidy up my start screen a bit uh, because of that. I mean, talking of the start screen, Steve, I've got a question for you. On your 1020, it's a 4.5-inch screen device. Have you stuck with two tiles across or have you gone to having three tiles across on it? No, I, I experimented with uh, the three three c- columns of t- two tiles. They're effectively six slots across, but on the the four point five inch screen, it was just too small and too fiddly. And I've gone back to the traditional arrangement. The big the big change on the start screen for me with Windows Phone eight point one um, is actually the r- slightly gimmicky but really rather beautiful live tile backgrounds. And I know I know this is just purely eye candy, <laughs> but um, if you can link in the show notes maybe to my little tutorial on on how to create a really nice live tile background and get it working well. I supply several examples, and that's not least one nicked from one of Nokia's videos of the internals, the 1020, which is kind of showing off as it's being used on the 1020. But um, if you do it, if you set your start screen up right, it's a really pleasant effect. And if you perhaps use a, a, a personal photograph, like, a, you know, wife or, or, or child or whatever, um, you can then have that, they're almost like peeking out from behind your start screen live tiles, and that's a lovely, lovely effect. So uh, well done, Microsoft, very creative. Yeah, so I think it's a, a nice information. Now, I've actually kept um, three tiles across on my Lumia 925. I mean, I will admit I can find it a bit small to get at some of the uh, kind of the small size tiles, but it, it tends to be quite accurate when I hit it. I've only had very few kind of miss hits, and I do like having that extra density of information on the screen. And going back to a device with uh, you know, just the two tiles across kind of doesn't feel quite right. It, I, I haven't made my mind up finally about that, but like you, I've kind of been enjoying the backgrounds. I'm still in two minds about it. It feels a little bit sort of extra fiddliness. But one thing I have done is choosing a couple of my own photos. I just zoomed right in and just chosen an area of kind of a single texture or color. In my case, it was actually a kind of a seascape. And I just had this azure blue sea. And so I picked out that. And actually, that works really well, rather than having too much trying to go on in that background image. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's a nice touch. And I really like that personalization element. It's kind of interesting in the days of you know, Symbian dominance, the idea that you could customize your smartphone with a theme was a really big thing and really important to a lot of people. The kind of ability to do that has gone away a little bit. 
Um, you, know, you can do wallpapers in various places, but actually, given that this is a front and center thing, you know, I think that's a really nice thing on 8.1. I'm also uh, impressed with kind of the new lock screen. This isn't generally available uh, yet. It's going to be so available with the consumer release, I guess. And they'll, you know, there's some quite creative lock screens that are going to be available. And that's, again, something I'm really pleased to see. And I think there's going to be quite a lot of activity around that uh, simply because it's one of those features that you know, people seem to like making their phone a bit more personal. Um, and sometimes some part of me goes, it, you can end up with something looking really awful, but if you can pick it up on the tape and go, yep, that's my phone, uh, it's a great thing. Now, maybe we should talk about some things that uh, we perhaps don't like quite so much. And it's not so much I don't like it, but it's a change that I've definitely noticed. It's uh, when you're sharing things, the whole sharing framework has changed. And it's actually part of a kind of a wider change where there's less direct integration into the platform of some of the social stuff as well. They are two separate components, but let's take them together. And so in terms of being able to do sort of simultaneous status updates or kind of deep Facebook integration into various places, for example, the Photos Hub, is kind of going away in favour of kind of having integration of those apps into uh, the hub that we might be talking about. And the idea is that you will have some kind of shortcut within the hub, but you'll then jump into the a particular application. Now, I think in some ways this has actually resulted in inferior functionality as things stand at the moment because it just doesn't feel quite as seamless and consistent. But looking a bit further ahead, I think it's probably a good thing because you can have multiple different applications integrated in and so you'll actually have a greater degree of integration likely with the apps that you're using. You know, with, with photos, you will be able to have apps from Picasso or whatever your Flickr or whatever your chosen kind of photo storage is not just kind of the Microsoft stuff and then um, and Facebook. But in the short term, I, I, I found that a bit of a pain point when trying to share things. And there's a few apps that haven't been updated to kind of support that new sharing framework. OneDrive was one of them. There's now been an update for that yeah. and a couple of others. But is that something you've come across, Stephen, sort of found sort of slightly jarring? Yes, occasionally you try and share something. You think, hang on, I'm sure that was a longer list a few months ago. <laughs> but um, one thing I that's really hit me quite quite hard and maybe you don't mind this so much is the image uploading in the, the auto uploading so built into windows phone for ages has been the fact that you, you, you go into settings you say yes when i take capture a photo for example i want to automatically upload it um to my SkyDrive straight one drive and you can choose you know best quality only over wi-fi all that all that stuff so you do all that but under Windows Phone 8.1 with this developer preview on the Nokia devices, I guess the OS is taking control. And the image that gets uploaded is not the 5 megapixel, nicely oversampled, nicely shared, nicely framed version you've just made with the Nokia software. It uploads, presumably, the first image it sees of that file name root. And you end up with the 34 megapixel sort of, you know, raw, in lower lowercase R-A-W. Uh, so you get the, the large versions, which you then have to manipulate later and download later, and they're not oversampled, and it's all, and reframe. It's, it's all a bit of a pain, really. I, I'm almost contemplating going back to the, the non-developer preview, you know, you know, completely reflashing the 1020, just so that, that the images that get uploaded and archived are the ones I want, not the, kind of the, the raw underlying ones. Uh, see, I haven't come across that, because I've mainly been using a, a 925 for this, um, you know, running the preview of the 1520. I've used it a bit, but not been taking photos with it. 
I'm pretty sure that's something that's going to get fixed. I mean, yeah. this is actually related to kind of one of the good things that you've got much better access to the filing system. We're just seeing the first apps come out that kind of give you this ability to effectively have a file manager. I mean, again, that's something I'm not sure you'll notice all that much yet, simply because some of those you know, APIs haven't been taken advantage of by third-party apps. But you do see it in a couple of places. For example, when you want to attach files to emails, you can attach multiple images and you'll see little thumbnails and that's a really nice touch i've noticed that because obviously i've been sending some screenshots off the phone to other people and there are you know various other examples of that it's a lot more flexible what you can download onto the phone through the the web browser for example you know internet explorer 11 is a big leap forward on windows phone 8.1 i've actually really been enjoying the ability to have my tabs syncing between kind of a, a desktop device a, a tablet and then the phone and it's not quite as sync as you might think there's actually kind of a list of tabs that you can go into and see what you've been browsing on a, another device and then bring up quickly on the phone and i found that personally a really effective thing i mean there's quite a lot more of this sharing of settings between uh, you know the desktop or windows 8 devices and windows phone 8.1 devices things like Wi-Fi passwords, things like accent colors. And you do have a, a, an element of control over what you want. But that kind of experience starts to bring home the idea that Microsoft have talked about time and time again of sort of three screens and multiple devices. So that's another strength I think will become more apparent just as things like the sort of improved backup will as well. I mean, I did notice uh, having updated one device, I then actually restored a backup from that device onto a, another device. And having the start screen magically sort of lay itself out and have various uh, you know, the apps, and it all happened automatically. It's an improved experience over 8.0, obviously. And I'm really looking forward to when some of the apps will also bring their data across as well. So, you know, that's uh, another improvement. If we're you know going back to the things that annoy me, the kind of separation of Xbox music has, I think, resulted in an inferior experience for music. There are various updates coming. A couple have already been delivered. There'll be more before the consumer release, I think, or subsequently. And also the updates to the Games Hub, they're not actually built in applications. They're being updated. And so they can actually be a bit slower than they were before. Um, I haven't tried it out on a Lumia 1520, but I do wonder, uh, I mean, the 520 on the lower end devices, how much of an impact that will have. I suspect that sort of thing is going to get optimized a little bit. Um, but you know, it, as with the, any of these updates, there are good points and, and, and bad points. And uh, don't always see the discussion of the downsides. I mean, overall, it is a, a big, big improvement. And there's lots of little touches I keep discovering. Things like the speed dial in the phone application. Uh, things like the improvements to the way you can close an application from the, the launch, and you know, you can now swipe it down in a way. Things about multitasking. Uh, in the, the default behavior now is to much more leave the application kind of running in the background or rather paused in the background and so the kind of the whole multitasking experience on 8.1 is significantly better particularly when you're using a, a high-end device that's got the extra ram you will actually but as much as possible leave things running and then when you uh, hit an app on the start screen or on the app launch it will actually resume it rather than kind of restart it and that for me, has made a big experience or big difference using the device. Is that something you've come across, Steve? Uh, absolutely. And I, although partly, of course, that might explain why my battery is dead by 3 p.m. <laughs> all these things are going on. So I, I think it's, it's early days. I, I would absolutely classify that this is a preview and I'm enjoying previewing it. I recognize it's not finished. I recognize that all these things will get better. As you said, a lot of the applications and core components are kind of broken out and can be updated separately. So in the, in the long run, we will get 
um, more flexible updates, more regular updates. I'm really looking forward to uh, the, the Lumia Scion update, whatever they end up calling that. I guess now I'm, I'm kind of in between two stools because it's, it's a real hassle to go back to the non 8.1 and have to start from scratch on a blank phone again. And it's also you know a couple of months away from actually getting the Scion over the air update. So I've got two months of basic frustration, but um, I did bring it, bring it on myself. Yeah, well, I mean, I think with Sion, we'll, you know, see some of the fixes for some of this. I wouldn't be surprised to see that sorting out some of the access to the high resolution versus the low resolution on the yeah. 1520 and the 1020, for example. We haven't had the, the full de- de- details on that. There are going to be various other updates. I would say don't expect it to be absolutely massive, Sion, but uh, there will probably be updates delivered subsequently to that. Microsoft is already actually starting to talk about some of the kind of equivalent to the GDR releases for 8.1, and we'll probably see the first of those um, in the middle of the summer. And I suspect there will be things that will get addressed in that um, that are kind of irritations now. Uh, in, in terms of when you, you can get it, as you were saying, Steve, it's actually a couple of months away for most of the existing devices. You know, I was talking to an app developer and it was quite a, a, a geeky app, to be fair, but it was saying it was, he was amazed by the number of people that had chosen to install and were running 8.1. I think, yeah. uh, I think people listening to this, yes, of course, you know, uh, are probably likely to have done it in the general population, maybe not so much, but uh, kind of an interesting story around, you know, uh, for manufacturers, you know, when you release these things, especially Microsoft has made it so readily available. It's free. It's just a question of filling in a few forms on a website effectively. Uh, I, I think it's a good thing because I think people have to make an active choice to go ahead and do it. And it sort of stops people whining about it or trying to get around it in some ways. Yeah. But just every now and then you see someone complain about something, you go, yeah, it is a developer preview. So just bear that in mind. Yeah, I did notice there was some talk about uh, an update to the preview for developers rolling out this week. I haven't seen it yet in the UK. Maybe that's region specific. I did. There was some uh, clue that it might be language specific, so maybe that's part of it. But um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Microsoft did update over the air the preview de- preview for developers firmware um, in advance of you know the official rollout of the official manufacturer firmwares. Yeah, so we will report, of course, on, on that on the site if that happens. Um, I don't want to go on to the Nokia Q1 results just yet, Rafe, because I'm feeling I don't want to get our listeners sort of snoring off while you go over <laughs> the financials. So let's leave that for a quick and snappy end section. Just a few uh, reminders of things we've done on the site and, and perhaps get Rafe's take on it. Um, as part of Windows Phone 8.1, there was the Microsoft's own podcasts application, and uh, I, I did a full review of this. I ended up feeling rather underwhelmed. Like, kind of categorizing it as a a podcasting application for you know absolute podcast beginners have you played with it and would you say that's fair uh, i i have and i would say that's fair but then i i think i'd probably also say that steve is a bit of a podcast power user and the chance of him ever being happy with that kind of built-in application is probably <laughs> about the, the same as uh well i don't know uh, me starting to do the macarona live on the podcast I've actually used it, and I, I was pleasantly surprised that it all seemed to work okay when you're just subscribing to maybe a ha- well, let's say five or six podcasts, and don't necessarily want to download it, although that that is an option. And so that kind of access to instant episodic content seemed to work quite well for me. Um, maybe I'm biased because I typed in Windows Phone and had the All About Windows Phone podcast come up as one okay. of the first results. Uh, and I actually think that's probably the right approach to take when you're doing a built-in application, don't try and make it all single dancing, especially when you've got a very healthy third-party application scene. And I'm sure some of the podcast clients are going to get updated to take advantage of some of the new 
APIs in 8.1 in terms of kind of background downloads and potentially other things as well. Um, and so I think Microsoft probably took the right approach here because the basics work fine. And I don't think you'd disagree with that, Steve. It's just you're probably not happy for your particular usage pattern. The, the big problem, I mean, I accept that the power user features aren't there, but one of the biggest problems is that the podcast directory they're using, I think, is del- dates from the days of Zoom. And uh, and quite a number of the contemporary podcasts from 2013 and 2014 just weren't there at all. And so the ones, some of the ones that were there had old URLs. So there's clearly some work to be done on the back end there, and I'm sure they'll improve that. Um, but but uh, Rafe, if you can link in the show notes to my review, and then people can read up all about it. I will. Also, just to say that um, Podcatcher, which one of the very first Windows Phone podcatchers, um, has been discontinued. With the uh, I've written up a story on that, so do go and read that. The author Johan Paul. It started in the days of Migo, I believe, and MIMO, so it's had a very long history. Finally, came to the end of the run. But I think I think it's fair to say, Rafe, that as as applications and ecosystems develop. Um, it's not only OSs that rise and fall. Applications themselves, they, they built on a particular code, code base for a particular version of an operating system. Um, and then as the OS itself evolves and the APIs change, the code they start off with becomes less and less efficient. At some point, it's better to start from scratch and build a whole new application. That's why some of the newer podcatchers we're seeing, like podcast to go came out about a month ago um really much slicker and much more efficient and you think well this is much much better but it's simply because they're working on a, a later base yeah well i think uh, you know it's the phrase standing on the shoulder of giants you know you stand on what went before you yeah and actually um podcast probably a good example of this you know the attitude to how an application should do something actually changes over time and so you know if we go back five years you know office suites it was sort of all about local editing and then the idea of being able to edit files that arrive by email came in. And actually now probably the most important factor is being able to edit documents that are stored in the cloud somewhere and have you know that automatic download and upload process. And I think that applies to an awful lot of apps. You know, as you say, that you get the rise and fall. And, you know, for a lot of apps, particularly some of kind of the popular ones, maybe in kind of niche segments, you know, it's often a one person or a two or three person team creating those apps and you know sometimes they'll be doing it because they kind of want to get some experience or doing it for the love of it sometimes it will be a commercial business as well but their circumstances may change and so uh, those if you like indie apps don't always have the ability to kind of re-engineer from the ground up whereas obviously the bigger companies do have the ability to do that and actually yeah. a good example of this is the calendar app in windows phone 8.1 microsoft have rewritten that from the ground up um partly because the calendar app was so shocking before, but also, you know, they've taken advantage of all the new APIs as an example of what can be done and get all that PIM data through APIs. And the third party could choose to, you know, do that app and replicate it and maybe do some extra things. But, you know, if that's happening, it's absolutely okay for, you know, third party apps to come and go. And we kind of see it with some of the Reddit clients as well. And sometimes they'll come back and get updated. You You see it with image editors or, you know, some tool for interacting with, you know, social media, it, it does tend to happen more to indie apps inevitably. But uh, I think sometimes people don't appreciate the resources and the time and energy that goes into creating apps, particularly the more complex ones, and just demanding they can constantly get updated may not always be a, a realistic prospect if you know people's circumstances change or developers move on to another project or, you know, as you say, you know, that it may be sort of replaced by the something that gets built into the, the platform. I mean, looking at some big efforts went into making kind of notification platforms for Windows Phone 8, and of course they're now redundant because of 8.1. They never really caught on, uh, but there are other examples of that. So, 
I guess it's part of the story of any any platform. Um, I, what's interesting, I think, about 8.1 is it actually gets Windows Phone to the point where you can make a good argument that in terms of the core features and the core experience, it's at parity with iOS and Android. Now, I'm sure everyone will have their own favorite feature that they'll pick out and some things that it does or doesn't do. But I think previously you could make an argument that there were bits missing from Windows Phone with the things that have been added and some of the updates of the experience and just some of the richness of the you know, uh, developer APIs. Windows Phone 8.1 is now in a much better position, I think, to compete with the pl- other platforms. And that's going to be really interesting going forward, you know, especially with you know, Apple kind of looking at, well, how do we maybe compete in mid-tier or low-cost devices? And that hasn't really happened yet. And we've got Android still continuing to go great guns but there is this sort of talk around the fragmentation google trying to bring back some control by doing the silver program or the nexus program and potentially other things as well Um, actually some of the complexity on the windows phone platform has been diminished by the takeover of nokia by microsoft but also because there's been very careful to keep a very consistent a very i would say concrete a story about how they do experiences. Now, it's not that there aren't it's perfect or there aren't things missing, but I actually feel that Windows Phone is benefiting from being young for the first time. It's got to the point where it's got everything it needs, and now actually the fact that it is a bit younger and therefore maybe has less craft around it or less legacy components to live with, both from a design point of view and also from a code point of view, might be a, an advantage in the year ahead. And it certainly needs everything it can get because... Microsoft still has an uphill battle, I think, ahead of it, as was uh, kind of made somewhat evident in the Nokia Q1 results in terms of some of the uh, volumes of devices being shipped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on, just to say, um, there was an Ask Me Anything, I think, with Mr. Mr. Elop, and who is now at Microsoft, of course, not at Nokia. Um, and just one interesting tip that I wanted to pull out for your comment, Rafe. Yeah, we were talking about the, whether the Nokia name would be on smartphones in the future. And our initial understanding about six months ago was that the Nokia, uh, Nokia's name has not been licensed to smartphones by Microsoft. And that does appear to be borne out. Elop says that the Nokia name won't be on smartphones for long and that, quote, the brand name for the future is still being worked on. Now, I was kind of assuming that um, with Nokia OI being replaced by Microsoft Mobile OI and the, the Finnish incorporated names, that we end up either with the Microsoft Mobile Lumia, which is very long, or preferably just the, the Microsoft Lumia 930 or whatever. Um, is that is that pl- pl- plausible or is Elop looking for yet another brand word that's not been thought of yet? Uh, it, you know, you can only speculate at this point, but I'm pretty sure that you can see the Nokia name uh, effectively being replaced with Lumia. And yes, I guess when referring to it in full, it might well be the Microsoft Lumia something or other. But I think a lot of the time people will kind of, as they do now, just refer to the Lumia 950 or yep. whatever it ends up being. It was interesting. I was in a, a high street mobile phone store talking to some of the uh, salespeople and they were actually saying they get more people coming in now asking for the Lumia model number rather than the Nokia model number. Because uh, I think quite deliberately, Nokia put a lot of effort into building up that Lumia brand and while I think those of us who've been around still think of them as Nokia devices, because of the kind of the advertising campaign and some of the branding that's gone on, people recognise the colourful Windows phone devices as Lumia devices. So I, my expectation would be that Microsoft will choose to continue that Lumia name. Um, 
what's perhaps more interesting is you know what happens to something like surface do, do they maintain that for tablets i mean i think it would be more sensible to just call all the tablets uh, lumia as well kind of have that as their mobile device brand um yeah i i don't see it being very likely that microsoft will introduce a new brand altogether it will either be uh, lumia or surface and i guess there might be an outside bet that xbox could come into it somehow but um I actually rather like the name Lumia. It's grown on me a lot over the kind of the two or three years that it's been in existence. And actually, you know, it's quite well known. If you look at something like a Google trend search, you'll see that the Lumia brand is much more searched for than Windows Phone itself or some combination of Microsoft Mobile. So, I mean, if you think about the Nokia logo on all of the existing devices, it's very easy to see Lumia just replacing uh, that on the top of the devices, you know, similar number of letters, kind of very similar style. But uh, yeah, I mean, that can only be speculation at the moment, but surely the smart money has to be on Lumia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you heard, heard it here first and <laughs> I guess we've all been thinking it and guessing that all along, but uh, watch this space. Um, just to mention on the site, I have done 10, 20 um, camera still comparisons with the uh, Xperia Z2 and also with the Galaxy S5. Um, I just, just very briefly, Ray, I don't, don't know how much you get exposure to these other Android devices, but uh, I, I, I play with both of them, and I still reckon the 1020 has got a better camera than either of them, which is a... But the gap is, is narrowing, but I still think the 1020 is quite a way ahead. Uh, any comments? Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with you, and I think it's pretty m- remarkable, given the 1020 is very much kind of last year's model, or, you know, a, a, if you like, a generation behind. I think maybe referring to a single year as a generation is a bit misleading, um, but the fact that it, it's not just ahead, it's quite a bit ahead. Um, I mean, we always sort of refer to the 1020 as being a couple of years ahead, and I think that's probably the reality. Uh, I mean, it does come back to what Steve always says. You can't break the laws of physics, and it's about sensor size and all that sort of thing. But it's also about the you know, Nokia imaging algorithms, the processing, the display that I think they are and continue to be kind of class-leading. I think Samsung's got a lot closer. They're still doing a lot more processing, and I think it's not to everybody's taste. Uh, I think Sony are starting to put up a really good fight in this area. The Z2, I know it impressed you, Steve, um, but the the S5 is also pretty strong as well. Um, And that emphasis on imaging has become much more apparent in the last few years. Um, It'll be interesting to see how Nokia responds to that because they have this reputation as leadership and, you know, it won't be just enough to stick a 1020 camera into a Snapdragon 800, you know, kind of the current generation for, uh, of hardware. They need to you know, move on to something over and above that. Uh, quite how they do that, I, I don't know. Um, there haven't really been very many clues. I mean, talking to the imaging engineers at various events, it's obvious they're working on the next big thing. And there's always, you know, more innovation on the, on the road. And it, Sony and Samsung, I mean, I don't mean this as criticism, but they've, generally been iterative for just sort of step-by-step improvements nokia's always been the one to sort of innovate on the technology level you know, optical image stabilization being an example or the oversampling approach with the 1020 both of which have now become sort of more accepted and coming into the albeit flagship but mainstream devices hgc do deserve some credit for actually trying something different you know they can't compete on the the sensor side because they don't have control of the sensor unlike sort of sony and samsung uh, and they've done something different. I don't actually think it's worked out quite right on the HTC One N8. To me, they've gone too much to the social side, you know, too much maybe on performance and you know, as a, yeah. a social camera. But that's what some people want. And so I actually 
would praise HTC more than I would uh, Sony and Samsung in, in one sense. But, you know, people have picked up and used the 1020 because it's got a great camera. There's certainly an argument to be made now that the Z2 and the S5 are, are getting closer, that that's a difference doesn't matter quite so much. I mean, I'd still say actually some of the advantages are about the actual camera interface itself, and I still don't think anyone's managed to beat uh, Nokia there. It really is a great camera interface, and I know yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy taking photos and are more creative with the things I take as a result of that. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't have ever thought that to become a really decisive factor, but I wonder if that will continue to apply in the future. And certainly some of the integration that's going on uh, with 8.1 in terms of doing the living images, it looks quite interesting. I think, again, HTC have been incredibly effective with their Zoe camera software. Um, again, it's maybe the emphasis on social links, they're collecting together a group of pictures and videos and you know, telling a story about an event. But I, you know, that's kind of part of the story of you know, computational photography, which I think has a long way to run. Um, and you know, I, I think Nokia is well positioned to take advantage of that. Um, as long as they maintain that kind of the, the advantage on the physics side or the sensor side, effectively. Um, but if you if you had to have one of those, uh, either the Z2 or the S5, Steve, out of interest, which one would you pick? I would probably go with the Galaxy S5. I've got more confidence in Samsung's knowledge of image processing. Yes, they, they do arguably process too much. They do arguably sharpen slightly too much. But they, they, always, they, they often stay just the right side of being excessive. The Z2 is much better than the Z1 and Z1 Compact. Nice. We shouldn't be rambling on about Android smartphones here, but uh, I would give, give the S5 the nod just over the S2. But the, S2, the Z2, sorry, the Z2. But the Z2 does have a larger sensor, and in theory, should be producing better results if Sony can pull its finger out. But but what's the space? Um, yeah. They're both both decent phones, and uh, I, but I'm not giving up my 1020 just yet. <laughs> Interesting. I'd I'd pick the Z2, although that's not just about the camera. I actually kind of prefer the design and the approach of it. Uh, I'm not really a fan of the, the, the Samsung approach, but it'll be interesting. You know, there's been plenty of rumours around uh, those companies producing Windows phone devices, and Samsung have effectively done an S4 version. It'll be interesting to get my hands on that. But it'll be interesting to see whether Sony Mobile does at some point you know, do something. You don't have any information on that, but there's been plenty of rumours around it. Um, so, you know, there's still, you know, uh, it feels to me like a lot to come, but like you, if I'm going to be taking photos on a, a mobile phone, the 1020 is still going to be uh, my first choice and, uh, and still still like it a lot. I guess one thing we should actually mention is we've been talking about the Microsoft and Nokia acquisition for, it feels like, a long time. I, mean, I guess it's seven months now since it was first announced. Uh, it now has finally completed. What does that actually mean? Well, you know, Nokia has a lot more money in its bank account and Microsoft has 25,000 more. Uh, employees <laughs> and uh, Stephen Elop becomes the head of that Microsoft Devices group, and there's been a lot of talk of what will happen. And I still think there's a lot of unanswered questions. We talked about the brand a bit. There's a whole question around the kind of the culture of the company. But one of the interesting discussions I've had with a couple of people recently is, you know, will the Nokia culture actually have more of an impact on Microsoft than many assuming? Because always with these acquisitions, it's kind of assumed that the bigger company or the acquiring company will kind of enforce or impose its culture on the other. But here we've actually got Nokia as a, as a fairly, you know, a whole organization being slotted into Microsoft, becoming effectively the devices group. Now, of course, there is a devices group within Microsoft already, Surface and Xbox, but they're rather dwarfed by the scale of 
Nokia coming in. So I do wonder whether perhaps uh, Microsoft might end up becoming more Nokia-like, especially if you look at the change in the last few years. Don't make any mistake, you know, Nokia isn't the company it was, you know, five years ago. It has become, I think, not necessarily more American, but certainly more international in outlook in terms of some of the business culture. It was very Scandinavian before, and I think that's probably been to its benefits uh, that there will be people shedding a tear that it's not quite what it used to be. But of course, it still does maintain you know, a big base in Finland. It continues to be based there. That's where a lot of the work will be done. And there's obviously the development offices in San Diego for hardware and back in Finland as well. There's a design office uh, in London and there's offices out in China as well. Um, actually, Nokia has sort of, I think it's about 150 different locations in 50 different countries or so. I mean, I mentioned some of the big ones there. And then, of course, there are the factories, which may be a different discussion and point. Um, but actually, it's kind of exciting because now the, the kind of true integration can begin. Up until this point, we've all known it's going to be happening, but all Microsoft and Nokia have been able to do is planning. And even that they have to be careful about from a, a legal point of view. They can't make any changes. They have to have had to behave that they're going to continue to be independent. Actually, it's probably been holding things back. I mean, it does also mean that for the next year or so, a lot of the devices that are going to produce are really Nokia devices in terms of the conception and the uh, early development of them. Obviously, there I think there'll be changes in the marketing distribution, potentially the pricing as well. But it's going to be a while before that full impact of kind of Microsoft is felt. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to assess these kind of things from the outside. Talking to a lot of the Nokia staff, there's a, a great deal of enthusiasm. And I think, you know, there was an acceptance that the, being part of Nokia had come to an end. We mentioned the uh, Q1 results for Nokia. There was definitely a dichotomy between the handset division or the devices division, losing a lot of money, and then networks, uh, maps here, and then advanced technology, which is kind of the patent and the technology licensing, were making money. And so it had to happen. And I'm sure people shed a tear, and I'm certainly one of you that say a fond farewell to Nokia. And it is a milestone in the industry. And, you know, it's one we're going to look back on in the, the future. I'm sure we'll talk about a lot but it's also a lot of potential going forward it's the natural home for for nokia given what happened with 2011 the windows phone decision and i think there's an awful lot of potential can what happened next and as i talked about 8.1 feels like it has a lot of potential and so maybe it's a, a good time it happened i mean the reality is probably it would have been more helpful if it happened you know a year ago but at the same time you you can't sort of play hypotheticals and what ifs um but it'd be interesting to see what happens in terms of the company culture? You know, what happens with the brand? Are we going to see that same design ethos? Are we going to see that design ethos we'll sweep into other Microsoft products? How much sort of interaction will there be between the different parts of Microsoft? And will we see sort of some more intelligent integration? Are we going to see an end to things like the 1020 coming out and not really being able to access one set of the files or the photos that it's taking? I mean, as a, a long-term follower of Nokia, do you feel positive about this happening, Steve? <laughs> um, probably no, if I'm honest. Like, there's a <laughs> lot of trepidation. There's a lot of nervousness. That, that as a, another podcaster said this morning, and I'm, on, I was listening, that Microsoft might well balls things up. Um, having said that, a lot of trusted people I know at Nokia are going to are now Microsoft employees, and they'll be doing exactly the same job just as well, and hopefully with better motivation because they've got more of a future under the new banner. So. Things could well go very well. Um, things go horribly wrong. Who knows? I guess, as ever, we're just people who are observing, we're testing, reviewing, and uh, 
hoping for the best. Um, as you know, I have a kind of a cross-platform approach, and I, I do have wear but different hats, and I even got a Symbian device next to me. I've got Android, I've got Windows Phone, we've even got a few iPhones around. So I, I really do like playing, playing across the market, playing with everything happening across the whole mobile industry, as I guess you do as well, Rafe, and, and trying to spot trends, trying to, to be analytical about what's working, what's not working, what's not working, what's going to happen in the future. I very much hope that Microsoft and Windows Phone are part of the future because it will make the future a lot more interesting. I think if it's just iOS and Android, then we're in for a very boring few years. Uh, I'd agree. I mean, use a lot of different devices and probably less tribal when it comes to Windows Phone than some of the people writing about. I don't think that's a good or bad thing. It's just the way it is. Um, I, I mean, I'm probably more optimistic than you are. I mean, in part because I didn't really see any future trying to stay under the, the Nokia brand. It just wasn't working because it was losing too much money and they just didn't get to the sales volume necessary. And with Microsoft, I think some, you know, obviously they want to sell as many devices as possible, but there's kind of a bottomless pit of money. I mean, Microsoft are not going to give up on mobile. They're going to keep trying, keep trying. Um, there may well be changes to the software side of things, but I'm sure they're going to do everything they can to sort of maintain that design ethos and the hardware ethos because i think what everybody says they really like the nokia hardware and you get that all the time it always gets compliments for that people just haven't always liked the software and that goes back to the symbian days and of course also the windows phone days so yeah i have a certain degree of optimism and in one sense you know the cynic in me goes well it can't possibly go worse than the last few years were for nokia Um, so, you know, Microsoft, yes, they may well balls it up and I, I, there will be cultural changes. And I think there is a certain element of sadness about that. But, you know, with that, that kind of change, that is inevitable. And I think you can, you know, can be a half, half empty, glass half empty kind of person and say it's doom and gloom and all these things are going to change. It's going to be horrible. Or you can be a glass half full person and look at the potential. Reality is somewhere in the middle and it kind of, I guess I would yeah, say I don't yeah. think the level of water in the glass is going to change all that much at all. As you say, there are some big trends around Android and iOS, and are clearly they're dominant in the market. But I think Windows Phone and sort of Nokia, as it now Microsoft, we should call it, or Lumia, whatever we're going to call it in the future, is actually pretty well positioned to take advantage of kind of the opportunity between those two. It remains the case that operators want to have a third platform. Consumers actually seem genuinely interested in it. And I think particularly on the enterprise side, I think there's going to be quite a lot of activity in Windows Phone, and that may well end up bleeding into the consumer space. And if Microsoft can get to that sustainable level, plus get some other manufacturers interested, there's still a great deal of potential there. And so uh, you know, people are, have a tendency to just talk about Android and iOS and write off everything else. I still think it's too early to do that. And I say that with a multi-headed hat on, you know, not just because I really like Windows Phone, which I do, and I choose to use it as my personal device. Uh, but it's going to be interesting watching. That's something we're going to talk about, I'm sure, a lot more in the future. We're kind of getting to probably where we should uh, call and enter this podcast. But we did say, um, we've mentioned the Q1 results briefly with Nokia. I don't want to really go into the numbers. They're up on the site if you want to go yeah. and read them. Basically, the handset bit lost money, the other bit made money. But just to touch on, you can you know, make a rough back of the envelope calculation for how many devices have actually been shipped. And um, I looked at it, and I reckoned about 7.5 million. It depends where exactly you place the average selling price and things like that. Now, that's actually down from the previous quarter. Now, you might expect a bit of that with uh, a bit going into Q1. Less devices do tend to get sold. But also, I think there's a certain amount of uncertainty with the, the Microsoft Nokia 
deal and also of course you know 8.1 coming out so maybe people waiting to you know before buying devices and that kind of thing but actually i think it's a bit of a serious issue because you know, that's now two quarters where there's been a decrease in shipment of lumia devices microsoft needs to turn that around very quickly or they'll start becoming you know a narrative about how you know nokia sold its phone business and it just sort of withered away and died you won't see many changes in in q2 you know that's kind of all set in stone now it will be up to microsoft to put a lot of promotion in with some of the 8.1 devices and maybe put the hurry on some of the other devices that are being planned uh, for q3 and particularly for q4 and you know they need to get that number above 10 million as quickly as possible and then move beyond that as well um so i think there's a, a kind of a warning shot from Microsoft in those those Nokia results. For what's left of Nokia, it's actually pretty good news. They're making going to make money. They're looking a good outlook for the rest of the year. They're clearly going to keep here on board. There was some speculation that might get spun out. That doesn't appear to be happening. Probably still a you know a, a threat for someone else coming in and trying to buy it. But I, as a as a user, as a kind of individual, I'd far rather see it in Nokia control, kind of agnostic of any platform, rather than being bought by you know, be it Apple or Google or Microsoft, I think having it as an independent player for something as important as location really is very important. And certainly in terms of the once they continue that investment and become, you know, a really top class mapping and location platform, the only competition they have is Google. And I think, you know, they're kind of knocking it an open door with the likes of Apple potentially, if they can get them to sign on. And obviously they've got strong partnership with Microsoft and plenty of others. Um, and then there's the advanced technologies, which is going to be making more money later in the year, partly because Microsoft is giving more licensing. That's part of the deal going on. But I think that's probably an early preview of more money coming there. And so if you're a Nokia loyalist and like Nokia name, you need to go and get excited about maps and networking equipment and <laughs> patents, which I do appreciate is a little more difficult than getting excited about <laughs> shiny smartphones. But uh, we're going to keep an eye on that because I think everyone listening to this have a sort of soft spot for the company. And it's kind of an interesting one. And obviously, it's going to remain an important partner for Microsoft regardless, uh, even if you just consider the location element without looking at all the patent and some of the research that's going to very much continue in all those uh, labs with all the people in white coats. So uh, probably a good place to draw draw into the podcast. And if you had any last topic you wanted to cover, Steve? I just wanted to mention that I am starting a new company with a name replacement kit. Basically, what it lets <laughs> you do, you, you can cover over the, the, the Lumia bit uh, with the word Nokia, that way, whatever Microsoft produced, you can still look, look to all intents and purposes, like you're using a Nokia device, and you'll still get that warm, fu- fuzzy feeling in the, uh, the base of your stomach. <laughs> well, I think um, you might be on to a winner there, Steve. <laughs> we're, so we're at uh, 50 minutes or so. Let's call into it. Um, well, I do have a, a question for you for the next podcast, and I've got some ideas of my own. What would our recommendations be to Microsoft in terms of positioning their smartphones, positioning the OS, things they must do, things they mustn't do. So maybe we can think about that and come back to that in about a week or so's time. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. And if you've got any views yourself on that or any questions you want us to answer, please get in touch and let us know. There's certainly some things we can think of on the hardware side, but also on the software side, because there's a certain amount of overlap going on. And we'll be touching on all of that. We'll uh, have a podcast this time next week where we'll be answering some of those questions as well as covering some more news because there's been plenty else going on which we haven't really yet uh, touched on, a few apps to talk about, more stats to talk through, and no doubt we'll be able to share more of our 8.1 thoughts. But uh, until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And bear in mind, if there's loud crashing noises in the background, race on an unfamiliar chair, an unfamiliar desk, 
and uh, we'll get it all soundproof for next week, I promise. Bye for now.